0: Stand up together, and we're going to pray over the the Word of God tonight. It's good to see all of you. I wanted to, sure, just a real brief little offering came in from um, uh, let's see, I don't know, Osseo, Wisconsin. Osseo, is that right? Is that how you say Osseo, Wisconsin? Anyway, this man says, uh, thanks to you, I'm on the on the road back to the the Father. I try to get into the word every day and pray about everything and worry about nothing. Life is good and God is great. God bless you, brother. And that's from the radio ministry. Just, just to let you know how we're reaching people. Amen. Well, I appreciate Sonny being here. Uh, he, he looks, uh, now don't tell him I said this, he looks like a skinny Rip Van Winkle. The long beard, you know, snow white. And I said to him, what are you now, the the stool preacher? You're up there on the stool all the time? And he said, it's not that I can't stand, I'd just rather not. (laughs) Okay, but uh, I did have a little procedure, and I'm seeing you fine. Uh, Yeah, I mean, how many of you don't want anybody messing with your eye? You see, I had these things called floaters. Anybody have floaters? And they were driving me stark raving mad. And had them my whole life. But I decided I'm not going to do this anymore. It's like somebody with a sore knee or a sore hip. If finally you go, this is affecting my ability to fully enjoy life. So I went and got it done. And boy, it's scary. But I got it done. And so I'm good. I see it. Tw- Guess what? I have 2015. And I'm 50. <laughs> 2015 is, is good. It's good. I said, you got to be kidding me. No, 2015, that's what you just did. So anyway, God is good. I see all things clearly. You are not like trees walking. Okay. Um, so tonight, letters that burn. And we're in 1 Peter. And uh, this is good stuff. Now, this is what establishes Christians in the faith going through the word of God not just a few pet verses that you pull out of context and harp on and build a doctrine around but Paul said to the Jerusalem church when he was leaving he said I failed not to teach you the whole counsel of God meaning the whole word and First Peter cooks amen So tonight we're going to be in, we're going to finish the the, uh, second half of chapter two and it's good stuff. So Lord, thank you for your blessing tonight. Establish us in the word of God, build the word of God into our hearts, give us wisdom, understanding, knowledge, discernment, help us Lord to grow in the faith and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Say with me, everybody, to the Lord, say, I receive your word tonight, it into my soul, into my soul. In, Jesus in Jesus' name, amen. Tell your neighbor amen. it's going to be good tonight. You better perk up and listen. Now, last time we were together, we ended with power, uh, Peter's powerful words for the church regarding four things. Here they are. Their special purpose, their sovereign priesthood, their, that they were a secret principality, the church, and his secured people. So we're special to God. We are priests unto the Lord. And um, you know what? The gates of hell will not prevail against the genuine church. Amen. Now this time we're going to cover the second half of chapter 2 and what Peter had to say about our separation from this world. Now, when I say the word separation, the the Bible word is sanctification. Sanctification is the work of the Holy Spirit from the minute you're saved to the minute you go to heaven. The Holy Spirit is at work in you and me, setting us aside or separating us from the world. Each and every day. How many of you today were very aware of God dealing with you to be separate from this corrupt culture. Amen? Oh, man. I mean, it's toxic out there. So Peter is talking about this. He's talking about separation from the world and uh, the sanctification of the Holy Spirit. And he lets us know we're in this world, but we're not of it. I'm in it, but I'm not of it. And guess what? It looks stranger and stranger to me. How about you? Now, he, he has already told us thus far in this series that we are separated by new birth. When we got born again, the separation began. And now, the world out there and you are not the same. Because the Bible says, Paul said in another place, Romans, I believe, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not his. Well, yes, I am. I'm created by God. Yeah, you are created by God, you're a creation of God. But you're not his child until you come to Christ by faith. And then when you do that, when you come to Christ by faith, then um, you're his and you're separate because the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within you. And once you have the Spirit of God, you're his. He owns you. Amen? Separated by birth and separated by belief. We, we don't believe like the world anymore. Our values change. Our worldview changes. Uh, the way we think changes. What we, what we consider uh, sacred and holy and right and wrong and good and bad and light and dark. All of that changes. It all changes. So we're separated by birth. We're separated by belief. And now he turns to our separation by behavior. Uh-oh. We're to be separated by behavior. So everybody say with me, by new birth, by new beliefs, and by new behavior. So let me put it this way. Peter's about to meddle. So verse 11, here we go. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Now notice first, what are our attitudes to be towards the world? How do you view yourself? Here's what the Bible says. We're strangers and we're pilgrims. Pilgrim is somebody just passing through. We're in this hotel called the world temporarily. But one day we're checking out. And we're going to our real home, our eternal home. So he says, you need to view yourself this way. Now, not that you're weird, not that you don't say hello to people and get out there and function in society, but your worldview is, this is not my home. This is not my permanent home. Now I'm only here for a season. Just passing through, uh, the world is found in the Bible. When I say the world, what do I mean? The world is simply this, people doing life without God. That's the world. People doing life absent God. God, as the psalmist said, God's nowhere in their thoughts. He's he's nowhere in their speculations, their musings, their thinking. He's nowhere there. And so when I say the world, I don't mean the beautiful creation, which I love. But I'm talking about the world where God is left out. People just doing life without God. It's the devil's lair for sinners and his lure for saints. When you're in this world lost, you're trapped, unless God sets you free through Christ. But once you're saved, what had been a lair becomes a lure. And each and every day, we've got to resist the siren call of this world. All that is in it, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. We're strangers here. A pilgrim is a man who's going home, all right? He has his eye on another place, and his affections are elsewhere. This is part of our separation, the way we view the world and our place in it. So how do you view yourself tonight? Do you view yourself as a stranger, a pilgrim, just passing through? Uh, As it says of Abraham and the Old Testament saints, we're looking for another country another place uh, where the the builder and maker is God. And that place is called heaven. How many of you are excited about heaven? Amen. 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 Now, not only are we to have a brand new attitude towards the world around us, but watch this now, we're also to have a new attitude toward the war within us. World around us, the war within us. He says, abstain. From fleshly lust that war. Everybody say war. war. Big word there. Fleshly lust that war against your soul and mine. How many of you today had a war with your flesh? Tell the truth. Yeah. Because we're in a very, very toxic world. Now, he says, abstain from fleshly lusts that war against the soul. Now, the word abstain there means to hold yourself from these lusts. It's like uh, a horse, you pull the reins. The idea is the Holy Ghost inside of you and me. He pulls us back. He pulls us back away from the fleshly lusts that are at war with our soul. Don't miss this Sunday. I'm preaching on this this Sunday because I'm starting a brand new series called The Temptations of Jesus. The Temptations of Jesus. Now I'm going to show you you in those three temptations, the three temptations that the Bible writers recorded, uh, they're familiar to all of us, and they matter to all of us. So this Sunday, I'm talking about temptation. I'm going to show you what the Bible says about it and how our Lord was was tempted. But now, uh, the Holy Spirit pulls the reins back and leads us away from the lusts that wage war against our soul. Um, The word fleshly is about the cravings and the strong desires of the sensual uh, side of our nature. See, when you and I got saved and spirit-filled, we now have two natures. I don't want to make you feel schizophrenic, but there's two natures. There's, There's two things at work in us. The new man and that old flesh. And the good news is one day we're going to be set free. The bad news is not until you go to heaven. Until then, we're at war with the flesh, the fleshly temptations that war against the soul. I'm really going to expand on this Sunday, so again, don't miss it. Um, The Bible teaches that our old nature as a believer, coexists with the new nature. Read Romans 7. What I want to do, I don't do. What I don't want to do, that's what I do. I'm all messed up. Who's going to deliver me from the body of this death? Thank be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. But even Paul very transparently admits to the battle between the flesh and the new man. The Greek word for war, it wars against our soul. That fleshly nature wars against our soul. Uh, It is the word for an encamped army. An encamped army. The flesh is like an encamped army within us. Uh, It's the same family of words as the word for soldier. So Peter's drawing a picture here on purpose. So he's he's painting uh, the, the picture that, Uh, of the flesh carrying on a sustained military campaign against the believer's soul you want to lose your temper you want to eat things you shouldn't you want to look at things you shouldn't you want to say things you shouldn't you know where i'm going you're going down that cafeteria line you come to that dessert section and those fleshly lusts rise up and make all kinds of excuses for you to get the chocolate cream pie with Hershey thingies on the top. Which I recently did, so I'm confessing to you. Okay? But on much more serious stuff, the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the pride of life, uh, these things, we're at battle. We're in a battle it's like, it's like an encamped army battling against our soul. And while we can't lose our salvation, we can be defeated if we don't appropriate what Jesus did for us on the cross. You've got to know what he did for you and appropriate it. So Peter says, abstain. Now notice, he didn't say go get a demon cast out. Uh-oh. He didn't say that, did he? He didn't say, now if you're really struggling with temptation, it's probably a demon. You need to go down to your nearby neighborhood deliverance minister and have the demon cast out. No, you're dealing with your flesh. You're dealing with your flesh. There's no demon of alcohol, demon of nicotine, demon of anger. Those are all works of the flesh delineated on in Galatians 5, listed in Galatians 5. Don't miss Sunday. I'm on this Sunday. He says, abstain from it. Paul said, flee from it. Run from it. Get away from it. Flee also youthful lusts. Run from them. Don't sit and debate with them. Hook them. Get out of there. Bottom line, there are some books we shouldn't read. Some things we ought not look at. Some people we ought not be with. Hold yourself. Abstain. Let the Holy Spirit hold you back from those things. Because He's right there to help you. That's why He's called the helper. He'll help you. Say, Holy Spirit, help me. And suddenly you will have strength. And God promises an exit door for you to get out. So, amen. 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 So there's the war within. And then Peter next talks about our witness. Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Now, I got to break this down because this is so good in the original language. But here it is. Conduct is about your lifestyle. Have your lifestyle honorable among the Gentiles. because Why? Because someone's always watching. They know as soon as you announce to the world that you've gotten saved and you're going to church, somebody's watching all the time. Uh, you've got to remember who you are at all times. You've got to remember who you are. I was at Starbucks where all good things happen. <laughs> that is coffee, at least. And I'm just drinking some coffee, and I've just sat down, and this man came out of nowhere and handed me a cup of uh, glass of water. i would never seen him in my life. And I'm thinking, what's he up to? I mean, you think all kinds of things these days. So I said, what is this? Can I help you? And he said, are you Jeff Wickwire? <laughs> Boy, I flicked that cigarette real quick. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm just having fun. Just foop. And I said, well, yes, I am. And he said, I thought so. And I said, how'd you know? And he said, I heard you order your coffee. And I listened to you on the radio. And he said, I thought, that's got to be him because I know that voice. And he said, I wanted to give you a cup of cold water in the name of a prophet. Now, what I'm saying is, who would have thought? I thought I was just by myself in a Starbucks, hunkering in the corner at one little table. But here comes the cup of water. I heard you. I enjoy listening to you. And he said, I drive a UPS truck and I listen to you when I'm driving. So there you go. Everybody say with me, someone's always watching. So having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, Uh, let it be honorable. If they speak against you as an evildoer, let it be a lie. Peter mentions the day of visitation, that they may glorify God in the day of visitation. What does that mean? Well, the day of visitation has to do with God visiting the earth. It's not necessarily talking about the rapture or the second coming of Christ. Because dearly beloved, God visits the earth regularly, either to bless or to judge. Here's Abraham sitting outside the tent. It's a hot day in Israel. And three men walk up. And he immediately knew they were divine. Two of them were angels, and one of them was a Christophany, Jesus in the Old Testament prior to the Incarnation. He tells Sarah, make a meal real quick. The men stay. Long story short, they say, we're going down to Sodom. We're going to see if, what has, if the cry that has come up to us is true. And if it is, we're going to judge it. Two of them headed off to Sodom The third one, the Christophany, Christ, stayed. And that's where Abraham said, if there's 50, if there's 40, 30, 20, 10. But I want you to note, God visited the earth. It was a day of visitation. And it was to judge. You never know when God has said, all right, that's it. The iniquity has reached the the top of the glass. I'm going to have to judge. And he visits. And there is no question that it's judgment. Jesus looked out over Jerusalem and he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How many times I would have gathered you like a chick gathers her or like a hen gathers her chicks about her. But you would not because you did not know the day of your visitation. God visited Jerusalem, Israel, his own chosen people in the person of God, the Son, and they didn't know the day of visitation. So God visited. Now the idea is that people are watching you and me, and if our lifestyle somehow helps lead them to Christ, then they don't have a fear of a day of visitation, of judgment. No, they don't have a fear. They welcome God if God shows up. That's the idea that they may give glory to God on the day of visitation. I'm going to tell you, I think God is walking all through America right now, visiting America in judgment. The only answer is a move of God. So that's the deal. The lost that witness our lifestyle, if it's not perfect, but... If it's genuinely, authentically, sincerely Christian, false and all, they go, wow. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, let your works so shine before them that they may, or let your light so shine before them that they may see your good works and glorify
1: your Father, yeah. which is in heaven. Same idea. So as Christians, we're separated by a new birth,
0: new beliefs, and new behavior. But now, Peter's going to shift from separation to submission. And I know that's your favorite word. And I, that's why I can't wait to dive in and talk about submission. Because we just love that word, don't we? Yeah, we love it. Chapter 2, verse 13. Therefore, submit. Everybody say submit. submit. So we're supposed to submit to something. What is it? Well, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, every law, whether to the king as supreme, we don't have kings, or to governors, we have those, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. Now track with me, because this same thought pattern is in Romans 13, where Paul talks about uh, submitting to the authorities that be. Because he tells us the purpose. Are you ready? He tells us the purpose of law enforcement. He tells us the purpose of the police. And here it is the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do good. Now he is saying ultimately it's the king in our in our case be president. And everything that flows down from the president into the various municipalities, cities, and towns, all right, regarding law enforcement, it flows from the top down. It's supposed to. Okay? That that is why it's to be honored. Because God is a God of law and order. God gave, listen, all the good laws came from the Bible. They may not want to say it, But all the good laws came from the Ten Commandments, the laws of Moses, all the good laws. So he's telling us, and I want you to track with me and hang with me because I know what you're thinking, but what about when they're all wrong? Stay with me. But their purpose, ideally, originally, in God, civil authorities, were given by God to restrain sin and evil from manifesting and destroying a culture. That's why it was given. God gave civil authorities. So first, we're to submit to human laws. He says, every ordinance of man. Why do we do it? He says, for the Lord's sake. Now, this verse would not preach well in our culture right now. If I went on ABC, CBS, NBC, CNN, MSLSD, I mean MSNBC, (laughs) um, I wouldn't probably get the verse finished before they cut me off. Because we're filled in America now with lawlessness. Uh, Marches, protests, demonstrations, mass campaigns of civil disobedience, Uh, Our country is absolutely filled now with a lawless
1: attitude and rebellion against God's order. I saw YouTube today, this huge, I mean,
0: pack of teenagers, all covered up in their face and all of that, stormed a restaurant. There had to be
1: 30 of them and destroyed it just destroyed it and ran away lawlessness no concern whatsoever for
0: authority in other words hating authority Amen. despising authority the word submit here the word to submit to the authority is a Greek military term regarding the rank and file of an organized group of soldiers. They may not like their orders or even agree with the orders, but they say yes sir and they do it with a good attitude. Amen. Because they understand authority. Our nation no longer understands authority or honor for the age. Do you know I was reading in I through the Bible in a year devotional? Then one of the things that God told Moses to teach the people of Israel, teach the young people, when somebody aged walks in the room, you stand up. Oh, that'd go over big. Pick your high school and go in there and teach that. They want the older to stand up for them. But no, he said, I'm teaching you respect, which will save your life. So when they walk in, when the gray-headed walk in, hallelujah. <laughs> I want you to stand up. Stand up.
1: God taught honor. He taught respect. Gone in America. We don't have a king, but we've got a president. And we've got civil authority.
0: Underneath him. And they're to be obeyed as long as they don't require you and I to sin. And that's when you practice civil disobedience as a believer. Now, track with me carefully. I'm not telling you to go out and rebel against authority. But remember, when Peter and John and the disciples were commanded not to preach in Jesus' name anymore, they said, we must obey God rather than men. If authorities came in tonight and said, Wickwire, you can't preach Christ anymore. Say whatever you want, but don't preach Christ. I'd have to disobey this Sunday. As long as it's reasonable and doesn't defile my conscience
1: or require me to sin against my God, I obey civil authority. Daniel is told
0: in uh, Babylon, don't pray anymore. You can't pray to anybody but Nebuchadnezzar. If you're seen praying to anybody but Nebuchadnezzar, uh, then you're going to be thrown into the lion's den. What was Daniel willing to do? What did he do? He went home and threw the shutters open. He didn't close them and pray in secret. He threw the shutters open. And he said, I'm going to pray three times a day like I always have. Because I must obey God rather than men. And well, you know, his enemies were watching him right through the open windows, and he got thrown into the lion's den. But I ask you, who was preserved and who finally got eaten up alive? Daniel was preserved, but the men that tried to get him eaten up alive, they were thrown in and they got eaten up alive before their bodies hit the bottom of the pit. But again. Daniel practiced civil disobedience. I can't, there is no way I can obey you telling me to not pray to my God. Remember, the Emperor Nero was wreaking havoc in the church, imprisoning, murdering God's people when the church was birthed. But Peter and the church led no revolt against him. They put together no marches. They didn't call for any violence or overthrow. They turned him over to God, and Nero, at 32, took his life. It's not that we shouldn't, and I want to balance this out, it's not that we shouldn't make our voices heard in upholding righteous values. We should. This whole thing, don't get involved in politics. That is so crazy. Where are you getting that? Stick with me for a minute. Why did John the Baptist lose his head? for getting involved in politics. He told Herod, you ought not be married to that woman. It's not lawful. And that's how he lost his head and lost his life, standing up to to authorities, preaching the word to them. No, we're to stand up for values. It just so happens that a lot of biblical values have made their way into the political arena. Abortion, transgenderism, the gender confusion. Um, Same sex marriage, all these things have made their way into the political arena. But just because they're in the political arena doesn't remove them from being a biblical issue. So if you and I, in a, in a country where you can vote, have a right to vote for a godly value, you're telling me I shouldn't go vote for a godly value? No, it's one way that we're salt and one way that, that we're light. Well, then which are you, Pastor? Do you have a Democrat or a Republican? I'm a Christian. And I'm going to look for whoever is standing for biblical values the most, and that's where I'm going. Didn't mean to get into politics tonight, but that's free. That's not even in my notes. But do you get get it? Real quiet in here, I don't know. I might have just stepped on some toes. I didn't mean to. Do you forgive me? Okay. Peter, and by the way, Jesus called Herod a fox. Uh Uh-oh. Okay, Peter explains why we must submit to those in authority over this. Why? For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, but not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. So we're to be a law-abiding people so that those who would want to slander or accuse us are put to silence. Greek word, muzzled. They're muzzled. They want to be able to find something on you. If you're living a godly life. They come up short. They can't find anything, so they're muzzled. And the word ignorance, he says, put to silence. The ignorance, uh, uh, that means culpable, self-imposed ignorance. In other words, willingly stupid. Willing ignorance. I I see the truth out there, but I'm willingly remaining ignorant. The word foolish, ignorance of foolish men, means senseless ones. So put together the phrase means willfully culpable, senseless fools. So Peter says that when we obey the law and live uprightly, the willfully culpable, senseless fools who want to slander us won't find anything they're looking for. Have you seen a few willfully culpable, senseless fools out there in the last week or two? Yeah. He also exhorts Christians to never use their liberty in Christ as a cloak for vice. Don't say to yourself, well, I'm set free in Christ. I can do whatever I want. No, that's greasy grace. That's sloppy agape. No, here's the deal. Liberty is not the freedom to do what you want to do. It's the power to do what you ought to do. That's freedom. So say this with me freedom is not the power. Or, let me back up, say it again. Liberty is not the freedom to do what I want to do, but it's the power to do what I ought to do. See, God gives me the power to live a righteous life. But he didn't save me so I could go party hardy now that I'm covered in grace. No. Right? People say, oh, I believe in Jesus while they're headed off to the nearest drunk tank. No. Let me tell you something. If you're saved, you'll change your life. Okay? Verse 17 is all about how to respond to men and to God. He says, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king, Uh, So Peter says, honor all men, no matter their color, class, or creed. We're to honor them because they're God's creation. We do this by seeing them through God's eyes. We see them through God's eyes. Who loves all men? He loves all men. Even the ones that we don't like at all. God loves them. He says, and love the brethren. And fear God and honor the king. Now, I already said it, but just a minute longer. Honor is a lost virtue. It's seen in so many ways in our culture. If we don't like a a person in authority over us, uh, we despise them, we even hate them, we undermine them, criticize them, attack them. But the person who understands honor knows that you can honor a person's God-ordained position, whether or not you honor the person. If I get pulled over tonight, God, please don't confirm this, but if I was to get pulled over tonight and an officer came up to my window, let me see your license and insurance. I am not going to say to him, first, tell me how you treat your wife. Are you good to her? And if you can tell me you're good to her and you pass a few more litmus tests on my part, I'll show you the license. But until then, I can't honor you. No, I honor the badge and I honor what they represent. Because there's a lot of imperfect... You say, well, there's all kinds of imperfect cops. There's imperfect preachers. There's in, Listen, there's bad preachers, bad cops, bad doctors... Bad CPAs, bad lawyers, there's bad everybody.
1: But that doesn't mean you've got to do away with the whole thing. Peter even takes it further. I don't like what he says, but I'm going to read it. Servants,
0: be submissive to your masters with all fear. Now, I'm going to tell you, employees, be submissive to your bosses with all fear. Not only to the good and gentle who give you regular raises, but to the harsh. I didn't write that. Peter did. Nobody likes the thought of submitting to a harsh boss. I don't, right? I've had harsh bosses, didn't like them, didn't want to do a thing they said, because after all, they're not winning my affection. But they were there to give me a check, give me a job, not to make me like them. The idea is as long as you're there, do your best to maintain a submissive spirit, even if the boss is harsh, because that's the spirit of Christ. What does it say about Jesus? He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Now we live in a free capitalist society where you can leave one job and go to another one. And amen. It's a good thing. Uh, So this verse is not advising, well, stay there, you know, in a miserable situation the rest of your days and be submissive. But it's saying as long as you're there, reflect the spirit of Jesus with a submissive spirit and just do your best to do your job, keep to yourself. If you want God to open another door, pray for it. Go seeking, asking, knocking and find one and make the move. But until then, don't hurt your testimony. Peter next deals with unjust suffering. Verse 19. One of you might have to suffer even when you have done nothing wrong. If you think of God and bear the pain, if you think of God and bear the pain, if you're suffering for doing right and not wrong, if you think of God and bear the pain, it pleases God. But if you're punished for doing wrong, there's no reason uh, to praise you for bearing the punishment you did wrong. But if you suffer for doing good and you're patient, this pleases God. If you're patient. Let's say you have to like it. Let's say you have to revel in it. If you're patient, while God makes the necessary changes in your life. So if a Christian is employed in a place that requires him to do something against his Christian conscience, you don't do it. Out of conscience towards God, you must refuse. This refusal sometimes brings suffering. They want you to do something against your Christian conscience. And you refuse. And retaliation is made against you for refusing. So you're suffering for
1: doing what is right. The Bible says... If you do
0: good and suffer patiently for it, this is commendable before God. You're you're suffering under a load patiently if or until God makes a change. Okay? It's not an easy thing to suffer for doing what is right, but let me tell you, Jesus is our prime example. The Bible says he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. He didn't do anything wrong, ever. And yet, he became sin for us, suffered on the cross for us, so that we could become the righteousness of God in him. Uh, Jesus suffered supremely for doing what is only good. And he's in our, our example. Peter says in verse 21, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Follow his steps. He suffered for doing what is right and good. And we're to be willing to follow his steps, pay a
1: price for your faith if need be. Who committed no sin
0: and there was no deceit found in his mouth. Jesus is our example in suffering for doing what is right. Peter says he suffered for us. He suffered for us. He suffered for us. One of my favorite commentators, John Phillips, writes this. i just got to read it. It's so eloquent. But he said, We picture him, Jesus, light years before time ever began, dwelling in unapproachable light, dwelling in perfect harmony with the Father and the Holy Spirit, in indescribable glory. He was uncreated, self-existing, co-eternal, co-equal, and co-existent with the Father and the Spirit. He was God the Son, the second person of the triune Godhead. His wisdom was infinite, His power without measure. He existed in unimaginable glory and bliss,
1: yet He suffered for us. Phillips continues, In the council chambers of eternity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy
0: Spirit agreed that they would act in creation. The sun was the active agent. He made all things, John 1, 1 to 3. He exerted his wisdom and his power. And galaxies of stars sprang into being and filled space with billions of sources of light. Planet Earth, a bright blue sphere in the Milky Way, was chosen to be the home of man. Jesus proceeded to command countless forms of life into existence and his crowning creation was man and this creator jesus is the one who suffered for us hence because adam sinned the creator must become the christ this mighty messiah stepped out of glory to be born of the virgin mary he further condescended to becoming servant of all and condescended even more to finally die on the cross where he took our sin upon himself. He suffered for us. Peter said in verse 21, we're to follow his steps regarding submission. Verse 22, he details the total innocence of Jesus. He never committed a sin. He never told a lie. He's completely innocent. God, man, died on the cross for you and me. That's just astounding. It's amazing. It's incomprehensible. But it's true. Verse 23, Peter says, here's Jesus' response to being wronged. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten. But he committed himself to him who judges righteously. I've leaned on that verse so many times. The word for revile here is so strong, it means to rebuke, but it also means to abuse. It's telling us our Lord was constantly verbally abused. By the Pharisees and religious leaders. Get ready for this? Here's what they told him. They accused him of being born out of wedlock, a child of fornication. They accused him of being demon possessed, a false teacher, a false prophet, being full of the devil. Jesus did not retort in kind, nor did he ever threaten revenge. Now, why did Jesus not defend himself? Because he knew his case was in higher hands. He committed himself to him who judges righteously. And we're to follow his steps. Let me give you a moment of transparency. I have, over the years, left all kinds of things that have been done to me, primarily in ministry, In the hands of God, who judges righteously. And I find peace with that. Either on this earth or at the judgment, he will handle it. And I have to leave it there or I couldn't go on. He closes, we're coming to the close now. Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we having died to sins might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. Say with me, if I was, I am. am. For you were like sheep going astray. How many of you can say that's right? But have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. He bore your sins and mine in his own body, on the tree, on the cross. Every wrong thing you and I ever did, he was blamed for it on the cross. He took the rap for it. On the cross, he took the judgment for it on the cross. The word for healed is talking more about spiritually than it is physically in this context. Spiritual healing, he forgives your sins. He restores your soul. He redeems you from destruction. How many of you are thankful for Jesus tonight? Can we stand up together? Before our wonderful Savior died for us, we were like sheep going astray. But now we've come to the shepherd and the overseer of our souls. And if he had not found us and touched us and convicted us, we wouldn't have found him. If you're thankful for the Lord Jesus tonight, can you lift your hands and say, Lord, thank you, you suffered for me. Only for doing good you suffered. And you left me an example. If I have to pay a price to do what is right, I will submit to you and your grace will strengthen me to bear up under the suffering
1: that comes to me. For doing right. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord.
0: Oh, God is here in the house tonight. I just sense the Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Some of you are suffering. You're suffering for doing what is right. You're in, in a marriage where you have taken a stand for Christ and you're really catching it from. Uh, your spouse, or your kids because of doing right. I want you to know His grace is with you that you, would, that, he will, that you will bear it. You will bear it as Christ bore it, as Paul bore it, and Peter bore it, and James and John, all the apostles and, and Christians throughout the ages have suffered for right. And God
1: carried them through and they trusted their case into the hands of God.